Thank you and welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Mystical Musings, December 9th, 2012. Here in the library at Colorado Heights University, beaming out from the highest point in the Mile High City with Myron McClellan and me, Lawrence Phillips. Those of us who identify as spiritual, but not religious, are the fastest growing demographic of the sacred communities in America today. Thank you for joining us today, creating our community of mystics. People who seek to obtain unity with the, with the breath of life, the gentle whisper, Elohim, Elah, Elaha, Iye, Brahman, Giche Manatu. We are the community of mystics who believe and know the spiritual apprehension of truths that are beyond the intellect. I am because we are. I am because we are one celebrating body and spirit. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah, the first day. So just for a moment. Tune into your heart, just close your eyes, let go of the outside, and just for one moment, light a candle in your heart right now. For the mystic, the menorah is in our hearts. And so we light a candle each day of the eight. Our topic for today, Shift 2012. The shift has begun, as many of you know. Very exciting, transformative. Right now we're in the backlash of the 2012 solstice, feeling transformative, a roller coaster, sometimes peace beyond understanding. 
we look at metaphors of radical change today. As we bid a grateful farewell to the great cycle that we are leaving, not just a season or a year or a decade or a century or even a millennia, but 5,125 year cycle, the great cycle of human civilization. And we are now leaving that time, opening our collective arms to the new beginning given us at this momentous time in human history. As one, we send blessings to our beautiful world in the midst of our extraordinary collective and personal birthing of a new order of uplifting human awareness. You guys are getting good. You've been practicing for years now. This is the end of our ninth year. And you're getting here now faster than ever. It's really impressive. The field gets established quickly and you drop in. Let's drop in yet just a little deeper, cultivating awareness and presence. So if there's anything encumbering you at the moment, allow yourselves to be in an open position and let go of anything that you don't have to hold on your lap. Just slight shifts makes all the difference. Breathing a bit more fully. Beginning to shift. Beginning to shift from the outside in. Bringing attention inward. Going within the mystic touchstone. Shifting from the external to the internal. Shifting from thinking mind to organic mind sensing, feeling, and moving. Even as we sit in relative stillness, the moving is the moving of our breath, the breath of life. We are being breathed. The Great Spirit breathes us as we breathe. Noticing the little movements of the breathing of your eyes, of your mouth, feeling the weight on the chair and at your feet. Inhaling, exhaling a little more deeply. Noticing heart right now. For some of us, it's location. For some of us, we'll feel the beating, the pulsing.
What emotions are present with you now? If there are any remnants of difficult emotions, breathe, open, do not resist, just allow softly. Softening the countenance, especially our face. Shifting from holding against a difficult emotion to opening, softening, deepening with it. Shifting from the familiar, slightly extra tension in jaw, fingers, toes, round the lips and the eyes. Remembering this kind of shift awareness work and play as fundamental temple maintenance. Keep softening, breathing a little more fully. Shifting from fearing to loving, opening, connecting with all that is around us now in this deeply resonant field that we have established here this morning. Shifting from ego to we go, from I alone to I am because we are. Shifting more and more from local to global and back again. Oscillating from local to global. Local, global. And lastly, shifting from any sense of being static to a slight sense of your spine bending just a tiny little bit, just in your mind, barely bending forward and arching backwards, barely from your pelvis, gently undulating up through your head, ever so slightly the least little, you can almost think it. So you're lengthening. Our overwhelming habit is to compress and stay there. Here you're lengthening with the slightest of thought, the gentlest of action. And noticing effect upon deepening of breath and letting go of any place that gets a little extra tense. Feeling that gentle lengthening, dynamically, albeit very tiny.
what a wonderful field to welcome in our first Christmas song. Silent. Angels. Angels. We're going to start with angels. Angels we've heard on high. Would you please stand? And when we finish the song singing, I'm going to ask you to sit back down, but Myron's going to play some more out of the song. So please stand now.
sitting now in our own personal radiance. Sitting now in our own magnificence. Sitting now in the yellow golden flame of wisdom. sitting in the violet flame of transformation. Sitting in the crystal pure white light of ascension. Sitting now in the golden purple flame of resurrection. Sitting now in the emerald green flame of healing and abundance. sitting now in the rose-pink flame of unconditional love. Sitting now in the royal blue flame of protection.
sitting now in your own radiance. Sitting in your own inner light. Sitting in your magnificence. There are 11 days before the end of time as we know it. On the winter solstice of December the 21st, the Mayan long count calendar of 5,125 years comes to an end. With a bunch of folks fixating on the destruction aspect, feeding fears about apocalypse and societal collapse. From a recent front page article on the New York Times, There are scattered reports across Russia of mass psychosis, panicky hoarding, a huge Mayan ice archway in one of the southern towns. France is barring access to a sacred mountain. People are actually buying upwards of a $1 million condo in former missile silos. One fellow is jumping off a very high bell rock in Sedona in order to save humanity, and ostensibly himself, um, when he moves through the portal on uh, December the 21st. There are going to be a lot of embarrassed and disappointed, in that fellow's case, dead people. Um, (laughs) A widespread Russian motto pertaining to the end of, of, of the world says, it can't be worse. (laughs) society is rapidly evolving transforming before our eyes but what the mayan people blessed with an extraordinary epochal view say some say facilitated by ets we're much more likely to have been focusing on at this end of time period is the quality of human consciousness the great shift from the illusion of separation to the felt, lived, and deeply known experience of oneness amid God's great love. Winter solstice, December 21st, in the Celtic tradition is known as the rebirth of the sun. And of course, in the Christian world as the birthday of Jesus. Dionysus, Mithras, Helios, Krishna, Horus, Jesus, were all reputedly born on the 25th of December, the date on which the winter solstice used to fall on before the calendar changes. And many other avatars, including Norse Thor and Japanese Bedru, share many of the following characteristics. Born of a virgin under the star of the east, adored by three kings, at 12 began teaching as a prodigy, at 30 began his ministry and was called the son of God, performed miracles, was called the lamb of God, was crucified dead and buried for three days and was resurrected. A mystic 
perspective sees that there have most fortunately been numerous saviors, avatars, sons and daughters of God throughout history and in many cultures most associated with the return of the light at this time of the year. The avatar for a mystic is both outer, historical and inspirational, as well as unfolding within on an ongoing basis. Reminders and re-embodiers that we are given many faces of God through which to know the beloved and to know the deepest parts of ourselves. As we transition from one era to another, historians say that we will most likely not, as a collective consciousness, know that this is happening. Some will know, the contemporary mystic knows. We know from prophecies of various indigenous populations that we are moving from an ego-oriented period of conflict and separation to more Ubuntu, I am because we are era of synergy and cooperation. Historians say that the participants of the French Revolution did know of the significance of their acts, but that those involved in the Enlightenment did not know the true power of what was then unfolding. The closest analog we have for transition from one era to another would be the unfolding of religion on earth evoking sympathy for the poor and setting moral standards amongst other of the religious fundamentals, a religious awakening beginning some 5,000 years ago, coincident with the early rise of China. We look to geological, archeological, and biological eras as a way to begin to grasp the vastness of what is transpiring right before our eyes for those who have eyes to see. Given the exponential changes happening ecologically, global catastrophe is still very possible as so many systems are appearing to be reaching critical mass almost simultaneously. What we must factor into the metaphor is that of exponential change. The awesome possibility not only of destruction but of wild cards, of extraordinary potentiated possibilities, unexpected shifts, Unexpected potentiations, whether it be the courtesy of uh, newly unfolding technology or perhaps our unparalleled human ingenuity, flexibility, and adaptability. Due to this overwhelming presence of exponentiality as a meta meme, wild cards are now more available than ever. Thus, exponentiality itself potentiates the end of time as we know it. The oldest story of the power of exponential progressions comes from ancient Persia when the king was presented with a beautiful chessboard. The king said that this was a wonderful gift and wanted to reward the giver. How can I reward you? The king was surprised when the man said, simply place one grain of wheat on the first square of the chessboard and then double the amount of wheat for each successive square until the whole board is covered. The king thought, what a foolish man, as I was willing to give him anything, and all he wants is a few grains of wheat. How much did the man ask for? Approximately 400 times the 1990 entire world wheat harvest. <laughs> Hence, the power of exponential progressions for better and for worse. 
I just spoke with a dear friend who had just recently returned from China, where he said the applied principle of exponentiality is manifest most everywhere. Attending a conference on sustainable technology in China, our friend was full of amazing facts containing the positive exponential meme. China has 75% of the global solar hot water, uh, hot water market. China has the largest solar voltaic production in the world. China is the largest wind producer and consumer in the world. Our friend said that the city of Shanghai is amazing with 23 million people, two-thirds of the city being built in the last 15 years. As much concrete is used in Shanghai in one year as is used in the entire United States in one year. China, to our friend, represented the 21st century, while returning home felt like coming back to the 20th century. China represents this idea of exponential growth and hence a positive exponential example. Chasing Ice by James Balog documents the negative exponential, showing all too clearly the receding glaciers not in the expected 100 years, but in the last five years. Just this summer, the ice of Greenland thawed in four days' time when our science had said it would take 100 to 500 years. The oceans are succumbing rapidly to acidification, all too rapidly destroying the krill and the plankton that comprise the critical first step of the food chain. Global ca carbon was up 20% just last year alone. At least 30% of the mammals, not just insects and birds, will be, at the current rate, extinct in 20 years. 40% of the children born today will have asthma in their lifetimes. Autism rates are skyrocketing. Tropical diseases are returning and not in small ways. Just 10 years ago, Colorado was the epicenter of the West Nile disease. We are now, in various parts of this country, experiencing the conditions for a second great dust bowl. Energy consumption is rising exponentially. The potential for total calamity is right around the corner. We don't want to do the Pollyanna thing. We don't want to ignore what is absolutely happening, but we do not want to succumb to the fear culture. And we don't want to buy a share in a nuclear bunker. What to do? First of all, it's pretty amazing that we have virtually front row seats watching this extraordinary transformation. Awesome to be in these interesting times. But remember, exponentiality is represented in the positive regard by Moore's law. For example, the computing power that, do uh, that doubles every 18 months. And with this computing power, new amazing capacities with technology, which only a few years ago were considered science fiction, hence the unprecedented manifestation of the occurrence of exponential changes, both positive and negative, compelling and opening to the future to the radical possibility of wild cards, the unexpected sources of change, most, particularly, most especially the rate of change itself. Now more than ever, we step beyond time, hence the end of time as we know it, stepping 
beyond time, as we have any number of times this morning. Courtesy of the transformation of consciousness, as well as the extraordinary wild card of exponentiality as a radical grace, compelling a great shift. I respect the divinity within each of you. Namaste. Would you like to join me in singing Silent Night?
For some reason, I was uh, led to cast the I Ching for today. And uh, some of you know about that. It's an ancient Chinese book of divination. And um, the hexagram that came up, which those of you who have an I Ching may want to know, was number 24, which is turning point. And <laughs> there is this line. The long time of darkness is past. The winter solstice brings the victory of light. Uh, that was pretty specific, right? Uh, okay, I'm glad I thought to do that. Yeah. So, you know, we're thinking today about both the solstice, we're thinking about Hanukkah. This is the first day of Hanukkah. And of course, we're thinking about Christmas. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what happens when there's a radical new energy that comes, spiritual energy that comes in on the planet. Just judging from the one that I have spent my life studying, namely the Christ event, the other one being the huge infusion of grace in the 1960s and 1970s, of which I was very much a part, as was Lawrence, and which really, I think, led you here today. Without that awakening, my teacher Corabel said we'd be hundreds of years behind in our evolution. And then we pray for a, an infusion of radical grace on the solstice. One of the things that is true individually, and then I think collectively, and I'll speak about the collective in a minute, but the, the new comes only after the old has gone away. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. And a friend of mine who is uh, a student of Rudolf Steiner said that Rudolf Steiner uses a technique having to do with the molting of the snake. The snake shedding her skin is apparently a very painful process. And we often know that light comes at the end of a difficult time for us personally. When the skin is gone, the snake becomes very animated. So it may be painful getting there, but when it's gone and the new skin is there, Snake is very excited. 2012 has been an interesting year for many of us in that it's been a roller coaster ride. And a lot of the preparation for what's coming has been not that pleasant. Often old wounds are bestirred and brought up again for us to look at and feel. Feelings that we have suppressed, unpleasant ones, come up for us to feel. 
waves of fear, waves of shame. All of that's the old skin, right? That's the old skin, and we have to have that experience of the old skin and the painful shedding of it so we can open up to the light. On the collective level, Jesus came into a Palestine that was very chaotic. The Pharisees didn't like the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't like the Pharisees. No one liked the Samaritans. The Greeks had come through and conquered it under Alexander the Great, and then the Romans came in, and it was the Roman rule. And it was not a happy place. So that chaotic energy, again on the collective level, seems to in some way prepare us for quantum leaps in consciousness. Somehow it does. I don't know how. But it does. I understand the physics of it is that it might be easier to go into a coherent state from a chaotic state uh, than just little, by quantum leaps, than just by little steps. In the 1960s, we had the Vietnam War. And there was tremendous chaos there. And we were so discontent because we couldn't go along any longer with the way things were happening. And we cried out. I remember, honestly, for a year being on my knees saying, if you're there, you've got to show yourself to me. This is not working for me. I'm teaching religion and I know what everybody thinks about you, but I don't want to just think about you. I want to have you in my presence, in my life, if you're there. I can tell you I did everything that I knew how to do to get an answer to my prayer. And in that tremendously chaotic time, there appeared to me a light that was absolutely beyond description. And it changed everything. Everything. I've been playing the piano since I was four years old. Had my first set of tales at seven. But when I played after that experience, it was a totally different experience. It was completely transformative. Well, Lawrence has just told you about the chaos of our time. It's real. And it's there. And it makes us ripe for awakening. It makes us cry out and say, we cannot handle this anymore. Enough war. Enough suffering. Enough hunger. We need a real infusion of grace. A real infusion of radical grace. We need it. And that's what we're asking for. Now, 
the characteristic, another characteristic I see of these three periods is that all of them, the two things I see, all of them have to do with love. All of them have to do with the expansion of love and the experience of love in a new way. So Jesus' message was, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now, this is directly from the Torah. Okay? So it was there and it was taught in Judaism. A lot of things that Jesus says are quotes, either from the Psalms or from the Torah. But he meant it this time and it became really a new radical idea that was introduced at that time. Because of the Amphictyonic, the tribal um, organization of Judaism, God was thought of as a tribal God. And you went to God with your tribe. Jesus brought the radical idea that God was the nurturing, loving parent. That God was not a demanding and judgmental God. That God was only love. And the way that you follow the teachings of the Christ is by loving. He said, forget about all the laws and the prophets. Just remember this one thing. It's easy. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. And actually, that's one thing. It's really one thing. If you're really loving yourself, you're going to love your neighbor. And if you're loving your neighbor, you're going to love God. Martin Buber says that's really the way you do it. That's how you find the eternal thou. It's through loving. And if your heart opens to God, the only thing you can do is love. Honestly, you don't have any other choices. This is what it is, and you know that's what it is. In the 1960s, it was the love child. It was the flower child. It was the year of all you need is love, or the era of all you need is love. And on the Princeton campus, there was this explosion of love, honestly. Not the first year that I was teaching, but the second year, people were saying, this is what is important. I am learning to love. It's more important than all my classes. And people began being so affectionate and loving and open. We introduced love. And during that era, not only did we think of God as the loving parent, we came to realize not only is the Godhead the loving parent, but we are a part of the Godhead. So the new revolution about love was we are one with God and we are one with all that is. So any leap in consciousness because of the nature of the universe and the nature of the divine presence is going to be a leap in some kind of perspective on love and a deepening ability to love and knowledge of other dimensions of love. 
So that's again what we hope for in any shift of awareness. And not only for me, as we know, but for everyone. For everyone. The other characteristic I notice about these great quantum leaps in love is that they are available by passionate, radical surrender. I live, but not I, but Christ within me. The kingdom of heaven is within. I do nothing on my own, but the Father within me doeth the work. With that opening the heart, I live, yet not I, but Christ within me. That surrender, that letting go, it's a letting go of our personal agendas. It's a letting go of our identifications. Letting go of our personal history. It's letting go of all that burden of significance and the burden of self. And letting that go to be filled with the Christ. In the 1960s, we talked about letting go and letting God. Right? Same thing. We talked about going with the flow, right? which means get out of the way, right? Let love do the job. You can retire. And it's that kind of surrender, I think, that will open us to the grace that we pray will be with us on the solstice. There are two things that have been happening to me in my meditation, in my meditational life, even since I saw you last, um, which is that I find myself meditating and then there are all of these people around me, not guides and angels, they're always around, but I don't pay any attention to them, they distract me. But <laughs> these were like people people from all over the world. It's like when I am doing my meditation and prayers, I'm not alone. It's like I'm taking all the kingdoms somehow with me. Same thing if I'm doing work on fear or shame, if I'm letting the shame body go or the fear body go by turning toward it and let, letting it give me its final messages. It's like, uh, <laughs> you can see what an optimistic I am, right? <laughs> Yeah. So I felt that I was doing that for everyone, too. I wasn't by myself. And then another extraordinary thing happened to me. I began to think about the Grail legend. The search for the Holy Grail. And the Holy Grail is said to be, by legend, the chalice that Jesus used to drink wine from at the Last Supper. 
And so it's caused wars and a lot of other things like that. But ultimately, the legend was really about the quest for meaning, about the quest for knowledge. It's about the quest for the divine, the quest for the Holy Grail, because all quests are quests for God. Bottom line, right? Because that's the only thing worth searching for. So in my meditations, I began to feel like I was the chalice. So, the, the, you know, it's always pictured as a beautiful gold ornate cup. And I would see my feet being the base and the stem coming up through me. And then the cup up here. So it's such a beautiful, it's like, oh, all right, I found the Holy Grail. It's in me. <laughs> so that kind of meditation has really been a beautiful experience for me. Because that's really my heart's prayer. I want to surrender on that level. And I want to be the empty cup. And I want the grace to come in so that my cup runneth over. So that's been my prayer and my meditation during this time. So another level of surrender. And one of the interesting things was that I found that I was able, and you can try this at home, it's perfectly safe, to let go of the myronness of me, and I, that kind of moved away, and I was just this very alive but empty chalice. And really, it's not hard to do. You let go. So that's where I want to be on the winter solstice. One final thing I want to say that are characteristics of these quantum leaps is that it takes a while to integrate it. So we think about about the birth of Christ, we think about the birth of that energy, but it took a long time for all of that to be integrated. Okay. It was the same thing in the explosion of awareness in the 60s. It takes time to integrate it. We're still integrating what we've got there. Okay. I don't think the nervous system can actually take it if we, everything came and we didn't have to integrate. So we have to integrate. And so as magical and wonderful and mystical as I want... December 21st to be, I realize that in that transformation, we'll be integrating it. We'll be integrating it for a while to come. We'll start, but it's going to be our baby. It's like the birth of the Christ child and the birth of this Christ child. It's the birth of the child. As we've said earlier, we want to nurture it. We want to be kind to it. We don't want to tell it what to do. We want to watch it grow. We want to be present for it, nurture it, feed it, whatever we can. 
just as we would if we had the Christ child in our arms. So whatever happens, we know that we are growing. We're praying for a quantum leap, but it, that quantum leap may take a while to come, but we are growing. We are growing in our ability to love. Honestly, if you think about this past year and you know you've been through a lot, but just think about how you love the people you love. That's pretty awesome. We are growing in love and we are growing in surrender and openness to the divine presence. We are asking this time not just to know that God is love and the loving parent or that we're one, but asking the divine presence to come in us all the way to incarnate in each of us all the way down to the bottoms of our feet. We want spirituality that is embodied and we want a consciousness that we can sustain and can be in all the time and be grounded. Be in heaven and still be able to operate heavy machinery. <laughs> it's a good prayer, isn't it? It's a good prayer. When I stand with you, I feel so optimistic. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so filled with love and joy and optimism in your presence. And so I just want to leave you with this. The long time of darkness is past. The winter solstice brings the victory of light. Amen? Amen. We are recommending that we all sit together non-locally. Each of us will be in different places with friends and family. But at 12 o'clock on 12-21-12, let us sit together. Let us sit together. We're sitting now. We've created a magnificent field here. Let's sit together at 12 o'clock on 12-21-12. I've been suggesting during this two-year run-up to the completion of the 5,000-year era that the one calendrical system on the planet that most synchronizes with our global gold standard of chronology, universal time, is the Mayan calendar. And I've been speculating that, uh, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we saw on the cover of the New York Times something about consciousness, something that's changed and transformed. <clears throat> A banner headline confirming the great shift beyond conflict, ego, and ignorance on the one side and love, compassion, and awareness on the other. In what form might the great shift be known? The stepping forward of a great human being? A huge disaster. At last, irrefutable confirmation of the existence of extraterrestrials. The coming together of implacable enemies. 
For this month's candidate for early indicators of significant transformation, incipient evidence for mass positive transformation, is an autumn 2012 cover story of Newsweek entitled, Heaven is Real. Thank you to Devonville so much. The mystic fact of heaven's reality is not new, but the way it was witnessed is unique in our recorded history. Heaven is real. The existence of life beyond the body is real. Consciousness is real. Nothing new to us mystics, but most often discarded by a scientific paradigm not yet updated to the quantum model, currently stuck in the 18th century. Heaven is real, exists, is a profound confirmation of God's love for each and every one of us. We are infinitely more regarded by the universe than our thinking mind could ever embrace. And all this curious confirmation coming from one of them, from within the paradigm itself, a current science epitome, a neurosurgeon. The universe is not only fundamentally loving, it is also possessed of a great sense of humor. While laying in the hospital bed, seemingly unconscious, with higher order brain functions completely offline for a week, mystic brother Eben Alexander's brain-free consciousness journeyed to another, much larger dimension of the universe, which current science says is completely impossible. As reported by countless subjects of near-death experiences and other mystical states, the larger dimension is there, is here, a world where we are much more than our brains and bodies, where death is not the end of consciousness, but another chapter in a vast, incalculably positive journey. Brief glimpses of the realm are as old as human history, but never before in this heaven dimension, while the cortex is completely shut down and while the body was being completely medically observed, while in a full week's coma state. Current medical understanding says that with the neocortex offline, there is no way for even a dim and limited consciousness to be present, let alone a hyper-vivid and completely coherent odyssey. But rather than talk about what Dr. Alexander shared, let us, as good practicing mystics, create the experience here and now. Would you join me in heaven for a little while? <laughs> so, again, to let yourselves be unencumbered, come into an open position, let your back feel long and that spine undulate for just a 10 seconds of just loosening and letting, breathing a little more fully, inviting the spirit to breathe you, the great spirit breathing you as you breathe the great spirit. And with your eyes probably closed, but your call, if you wish, to go inside the mystic realm. Eyes closed is probably a good idea for some of the time. The beginning is in the clouds. Big, puffy, pink-white clouds, contrasting sharply with the deep blue sky. Immeasurably higher than the clouds we float amongst Flocks of transparent, shimmering beings arcing across the deep sky, leaving long streamer-like lines behind them. Beings that are more advanced, higher forms, 
soundings, large and booming, glorious chanting, coming maybe from these winged beings, overflowing joy, sounding as palpable, almost material, feeling rain but not wet, hearing visual beauty, seeing the surging, joyful perfection of the singing, looking and listening, becoming part, mysteriously joining in. No separation in this immensity. Like the intermingling intricacies of a Persian carpet or a butterfly's wing, everything is distinct and also a part of everything else. Our guides coming in so many different forms. In this dimension, our guide comes as we ride on the intricately patterned surface of the wing of a butterfly. Amongst millions of vast fluttering waves, a river of life and color. And our guide shares with us an overwhelming, super vivid aliveness. Our guide offers us a look that makes our whole life up to this point worth living. No matter what has happened, not a romantic look, not a look of friendship, a look beyond all of these, beyond all the different compartments of love we have here on the earth, something higher holding all these kinds within itself while being bigger than all of them. Without words, our guide speaks without words, without words, going through me as a wind, knowing the truth of these wordless words. You are loved and cherished deeply and forever. I am loved and cherished deeply and forever. You have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. There is nothing you can do wrong. There is nothing I can do wrong. All of this flooding ourselves with vast, crazy sensations of relief, a divine breeze changing everything, shifting the world around us to a higher order of vibration. As our journey continues, we enter an immense void, completely dark, infinite in size, also infinitely comforting, pitch black, but also brimming over with light. There is, some say in God, a deep but dazzling darkness. Our guide midwives are birthing into a larger world into the universe itself, a giant cosmic womb being birthed into an inky darkness brimming with light. Despite our daily living in a world of separation, quantum physics tells us the universe is a unity. We are one. Every object and event completely interwoven with every other object and event, there being no true separation. We are being birthed into a universe defined by unity and by love. We are loved and accepted unconditionally 
by a God even more grand and unfathomably glorious than the one we learned about in Sunday school, loved and accepted unconditionally in a grand and glorious universe. Heaven is real. The shift is beginning. Please join me with joy to the world, if you would stand. like to complete for today if you would share with me the Lord's Prayer a mystic version it was a revelation to me to get this uh, you have two of the versions one is the Lord's Prayer directly translated from the Aramaic the other is the Lord's Prayer that says mystic version that one if you would join me in that as we complete O cosmic birther of all radiance and vibration softening the ground of our being, carving out space within us where your presence abides, filling us with your creativity, empowering us to bear the fruit of your mission, letting each of our actions bear fruit in accordance with our desire, endowing us with wisdom to produce and share what each being needs to grow and flourish, untying the tangled threads of destiny that bind us as we release others from the entanglements of past mistakes,
keeping us from that which would divert us from our true purpose, illuminating the opportunities of this present moment. For thou art within and without the ground and the fruitful vision, the birth, power, and fulfillment as all is gathered and made whole once again. So we wish you all a great Hanukkah, fabulous Christmas, and a just awesomely amazing transformation. 12 p.m., 12, 21, 12. Nathani, Oliver, thank you so much for your help today. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> the next musing is here in the library on January the 20th, 2013. <laughs> Please bring a friend if you wish, spread the rustic word. Let me know if any of you would like to be added to the email contact list. Standing in our radiance and in our gratitude for the miracle of Hanukkah, the miracle of Christmas, and the miracle of the solstice the Winter Solstice 2012. We feel our gratitude to the Divine Presence for all the gifts that are given to us. And we pray with all our hearts that all humanity and all the other kingdoms be free, be joyful, be prosperous, be happy and feel blessed. We leave with a thought in our mind the long time of darkness is past. The winter solstice brings the victory of light. We send this energy all over the planet, blessing all the kingdoms. And praying that the Divine Presence completely, awesomely incarnate in all of us.
Now let's take this energy, this group, and bring it into ourselves, into our own individual selves, so we can go out as light bearers, the big smiles on our face, greeting a great Hanukkah, Christmas, and winter solstice season. Namaste.